The All Things Fun Podcast, Episode 2, May 24th, 2007. Greetings and welcome to a special All Things Fun podcast. This entire extra-long episode is devoted to news from the 2007 Game Manufacturers Association trade show in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, if you're a diehard comic fan, have no fear. We'll return to our regular format and our comic co-host, Glenn Walker, in episode 3, which will be due out by the end of May 2007. So, without wasting any time, let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the All Things Fun podcast. You're here with uh, your host, Ed Evans, my co-host, Wes Hitchens. Hello. We're actually going to talk a few minutes about the recent Gamma Trade Show held in Las Vegas, Nevada. I uh, had the uh, privilege to head down there and talk to a number of different publishers about uh, some of the new products that we're bringing out through the summer into fourth quarter 2007. I couldn't attend the show. Uh, Las Vegas, the city, has a restraining order against me. so It's a handsome document. Tough luck for me. Some of the big news that came out of the show this year from WizKids. They had some exciting new details for their HeroClix game. Now, I know a lot of hardcore board game guys are typically not HeroClix fans. Mm. But that said, they've really taken a, a harsh look at, at how they were running their game before. And uh, they're making some fairly dramatic differences without upsetting the core gaming community that follows uh, HeroClix. They've changed the structure for how you actually collect the pieces. There used to be... Um, it would be the same sculpt. Let's say you had a Spider-Man piece, and there'd be three levels of that same Spider-Man piece in a given set. Uh, they're doing away with that with the new set. Uh, they've also been criticized in the past for not really revealing what were hot pieces. So you'd be like, oh, well, the Vet Vision is a hard piece to get. But you didn't know that until you bought a bunch of pieces and couldn't get a Vet Vision. So now uh, they're going to let you know what the rarity level is right on the piece. They're also adding cards, which is fairly revolutionary for HeroClix because their big deal was always that everything was on the little click. You could spin the base and have all the stats. You still do. You still spin the base and have the stats and take damage that way. But now they actually have a little card that comes with it. Half of it is essentially flavor text, color, and it tells you uh, a little here's history of that character, some background. And then the other side are a set of powers specific to that character. Mm -hmm. Most gamers uh, who play the tabletop pre-painted minis are used to the cards already. Star Wars, D&D minis, they all have the cards. Uh, it opens up another level of play. Uh, one thing I've noticed with Hero Clicks, if you're new to the game and you're playing against a veteran, he knows everything, every color that's going to come up on the dials of all of his pieces, all of your pieces, all pieces in the set. This way, uh, when somebody fields black cat against you and you've never seen him before you can say hey ed can i borrow that card and you see i guess yep. all the powers that black cat is going to have in this game that's correct and you can you know it, it's it's not just a strategy of i did my homework and you are defeated because i know what i have and you, you know exactly i mean there's still a little bit of that because it, it won't show you the dial on the card you won't see all the individual stats like when they oh, happen sure. the values but you'll know about the powers mm -hmm. which is great because you'll know that you know he's got mastermind or whatever special power is coming up on that dial mm -hmm. so yeah i think it does it levels the playing field they're also changing the actual physical structure of how you purchase it before it was uh, four pieces in a, in a 
mini kind of booster box. Now they're going to a more standard booster box, five pieces in there along with the cards, as well as any special, you know, they have the pogs, sometimes they do the battlefield conditions, you know, additional little cards in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll all still be there, but you'll get an additional piece now. And uh, and now instead of chasing, you know, obviously three versions of each character, there's a single version uh, of a character in a set uh, with the rarity uh, denoted right on the base, mm-hmm. which isn't so bad. I think the price point, they, at least at that time we're going to press, uh, they said it was a $9.99, $10 price point, which is still not bad at all. It's about the same price you know, per figure. So the new uh, the new artwork for the Avengers set, which is due out next, uh, has uh, Finch artwork. The guy who does artwork for the new Avengers comic right now. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's great. They're great looking. Uh, the next set down the road, uh, Justice League, uh, also has some fantastic artwork. It seems to me with the release of every miniatures game, everybody in the industry knows what the competition is, and they all feed off of each other. And Dream Blade addressed problems in earlier games, and then, you know, the next iteration of Heroclix comes along and incorporates the good, drops the bad. So uh, it's good news for everybody because as... You know, as this collectible minis thing goes on, it becomes a better game for everyone. And each of these designers gets to come out with a new product that is exciting and is more fun. And they're refining the fun in these things. So that's that's good news. Yeah, that's a good sign. And one other quick note before I move on, they also announced that they're going to go back and modify older sets, put little quick reference sheets on their website so that older sets could still be played actively with the newer sets as the new powers came out. So I thought that was nice. They're really going out of their way to not make it Heroclix 2.0. So we'll see. Again, only time will tell if that becomes functional, if that's really something that's going to work. But I like the fact they're talking about it. They're trying to keep people involved. They're trying to add new stuff without making it a relaunch and killing all the existing player base. Yeah, if you participated in a tournament in 2005, you won a great piece. You're proud of it. You try to use it in a constructed team. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, they come along and say, hey, shim your dining room table with him because he's useless. <laughs> you know, you just feel like you're abandoned. So it's good to know that they, you know, they have a contingency. Yeah, Keep thinking about pieces. it. Yeah. yeah, you can still use it. That was a huge announcement. You know, they also had their Summer of Galactus tournaments, which will be running this year, which we'll be hosting here at All Things Fun, as will hundreds of other retailers across the country. So all in all, we're pretty excited about the, the whole uh, WizKids relaunch, if you will, of uh, Heroclix coming out with... With the Avengers. So we're going to check that out, and we'll keep you posted. They also had another large announcement at the show, and that was the Star Wars Pocket Models collectible game. Um, not bad. I should preface this by saying I am a, a Star Wars geek, so if you have little cool ships, I'm going to bite. I'm inclined to like the little ships. This was more of a card game, though. That said, I'm not a huge card game fan, but it, it, you do construct a card game. You have objectives uh, that you lay down in front of yourself, and the two win conditions are either destroy your opponent's objectives or destroy your opponent's fleet. Uh, it does have a mechanic to balance the fleet. Each ship has special special attributes. Uh, the cards either are objectives, as we mentioned earlier, that you can play, uh, or they are um, modifiers. They have a base modifier to either attack or defense or damage. Uh, then they have additional modifiers in the flavor text. And if during the course of the game you can match up those flavor text modifiers with the ships in play, you get to take advantage of those additional benefits during that attack. Those cards, though, are one-hit wonders. You play a card during a certain attack, or you play a card to defend against a certain attack, and then it's gone, off to the discard pile. You know, you've got to watch what's in your hand, what's in play, what have you already played that you're aware of in your deck, and is now a good time to play this, or do I hold on to it? Can I burn through my deck fast enough? I mean, these are all standard card game questions. Yeah. So it really is a card game at its heart. With this interesting bit, well... I'm in trouble here. My deck's not going to beat his deck. 
maybe I can take out a ship's. Like there's a second way to win. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be able to do this. Let me take out a ship's. Let me take out his objectives. I'm in trouble here. You know, I need to turn this into a model game because I'm not going to win based on the strength of my cards against this guy's deck. So that was interesting. Again, this is another time Time will tell. I mean, uh, while we did run a demo game, I got to play it. I got to look through the cards. It was very interesting. But there wasn't a lot of time for dissecting or seeing where they were going to go. Now, does this run kind of like Pirates where you're punching the model out of a card and then the what's left, the sprue, is the card that you're reading from? It, actually, no. Um, okay. Yeah, this one was... That's interesting. Good question. The, the packs... I don't know if you guys have ever seen the, um, the new Pirates Mega Pack, which is probably twice the size of a regular card pack. The cards are that size. So what you're doing is you the sprues are twice the size of a, pirate, a standard Pirates card. Mm-hmm. And then inside there, there are regular cards, two piles of regular cards in there. So um, regular cards are just, they come out, they're regular paper, regular you know card game stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you're punching your ships out of these twice the size, you know, massive sprues, essentially. And then the sprues, they just, you set those aside. Those aren't used in game. Also, unlike pirates, there's no there's no measuring, there's no distance. Uh, you're either you're in one of the zones. You in, in front of you, where you lay down your three objective cards, is your objective zone. You then have an imaginary space in front of that, which becomes your battle zone. And then the next space closest to your opponent is your opponent's objective zone. Like two trenches and no man's land, kind of. Okay. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. Now that's similar to even even card game world. That's similar to you know, a versus kind of thing, or even UFS, where you're, the physical layout of the cards is important. You create little zones. So that's also not uncommon in a mm-hmm. card game uh, scenario. And uh, that's the setup in Magic, uh, you know. That's true. Same thing. Yeah, it's absolutely true. So it's it's definitely appealing to the, the Star Wars folks, and it's definitely going to be appealing to card game guys. Whether or not this will have the magic to capture... Uh, like all those Star Wars fans who left uh, when Decipher lost the license, I don't know. But it's certainly different enough to be worth a shot. They're going to sell them in those large mega packs. I don't actually have a price point here, but it was very inexpensive as memory serves. I think it was a 4 or $5 pack. Mm-hmm. And then um, they're coming out with one large pack, which is essentially, it was a little square box with a, a window, and it was a Star Destroyer. Um, just big old, massive, pre-assembled ship. Uh, which was very cool looking, and it was the only way to get that was the, the uh, only way to get starter starter was by buying this pack. They were bent over backwards to tell you it was not a starter though, not a starter. You can play out of the packs. Okay, that's pirates, what I was yep. going to ask. Cause it's not a starter and booster. It's just like pirates. Yep, just oh, play cool. out. So that's kind of cool. And so we'll see where it goes. It's definitely worth picking up. And and the ships are cool. They they don't suffer from some of the flimsy issues that you have with uh, with pirates. They seem a little sturdier, definitely seem easier, quicker to put uh, put together. But that said, I also don't see myself taking these things apart anytime soon. Like, once mm-hmm. you put these together, that's it, they're staying together. But we'll see. It's inexpensive, looks like fun, and WizKids is pretty excited about it. We then talked to um, the guys putting together Free RPG Day, um, much like Free Comic Book Day, except... Um, not involving comics or as large or successful. Actually, yeah, this is this is really starting to take off. The guys from uh, Troller Games are involved. Uh, Joe from Goodman Games uh, came up with the idea and talked to Aldo into it. Paizo's in there. Who else is getting involved this year? Uh, Green Ronin and uh, Flying Buffalo. You mentioned them. No, I did not. Okay. They'll all be involved. Basic premise is that they're going to send out a box of goodies to all um, stores that are involved. Again, all things fun will be involved as well as probably another 200 stores across the country. Well, that's great. Yep. 
and uh, you come on out, and it's all new material. This is this is actually the cool part. It is not rehashed. It's not overstock. It's not garbage to pull out of a warehouse. It's all brand new stuff. In some cases, uh, like the Goodman Games module, uh, is is going for big money on eBay. Like people are trying to sell it, even though these things are free. Because <laughs> uh, you know Goodman Games, he has all his stuff numbered, and um, so it's part of a series. So a lot of people it's serialized. They collect this stuff, and the only way you can get the Goodman Games is to come out on free RPG day. Now, of course I have no other details. So I don't know if I'm going to get a box with like one of these mm-hmm. or 50 of these. So, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but that said, there's already a lot of buzz. You've know, got some posters up around the store. People are talking about it. Uh, I've heard from other retailers. They're excited about it. So it's a neat way. We're actually going to run some games as, and I know a lot of the retailers are going to do the same thing, have some games running, uh, and the GMs are specifically trained to keep them open and to entice people in, show them how to play. Here's a generic character. Check this out. Let's give them a name. Okay, here's how you roll. Here's what we're going to do. Just to try to uh, show people it's not alien. It's kind of fun. Sit down, relax, that kind of thing. And then you walk out with some free stuff and maybe you come back. I like how Wizards of the Coast uh, did their Dungeon Delves. Yes. They come up with a character sheet. At the top of it is a little black box, and in bold letters it says, you are a powerful wizard, don't get hit by a monster, uh, stay in the back and shoot your spells. And then it's it's like this basic character sheet where you could sit anybody in front of it and say, come and join in. You just got a sheet. What's it say? You're the mage? Okay. So you've got seven spells. This one hurts a lot. You can only do it once. This one hurts a little. You can do it a million times. And then you just go play. Just you go know? play. You know, with a little training, I, I think you can make these really attractive and try to break that veneer. People are like, I, I've never played an RPG. I can't get in. These guys are all sitting around a table. I'm afraid to get in there and ask. So I think this is a good idea. It's a neat opportunity, and I hope a lot of stores take advantage of it. I know we're, we're going to. I'm going to show up and start shrink-wrapping anything anybody hands me, and I'm going to list it on eBay from a laptop. That's nice. my plan. <laughs> I'm sure you aren't the only one. <laughs> I rented the machine. <laughs> I would let you use mine. <laughs> From our friends at Wizards of the Coast, we have the Transformers 3D Battle Card game. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, Transformers, more than meets the eye. The Transformers 3D Battle Card game is a constructible card game that offers longtime Transformers fans, as well as newcomers, a fun, fast, and easy-to-learn game playable right out of the pack. Players build their favorite Autobot and Decepticon characters, that's good guys and bad guys, Mm -hmm. uh, using punch-out pieces from plastic cards and battle them against their opponents. So let's see. Each character can build a robot or vehicle form. Like the Transformers? Just like the Transformers, yep, using pieces from the set. Now, we've already seen the samples, so we know that you only need one. Each one rep can transform to robot or to plane. The 26-figure set, this initial set, includes iconic characters from the live-action feature film due out on July 4th from DreamWorks Pictures. Uh, Each battle pack comes with four randomly inserted constructible cards from the set, enough to build two Transformers figures. Two stat cards containing character and battle information, a token card, and complete game rules. I've also been told, in addition to, they also balance it. There are Autobots and Decepticons in every pack, so you have good guys and bad guys. Okay. My my first question is, do I get to play as the Transformer Jazz, and does Scatman Crothers still do the voicing for him? I'm not sure we can actually say Scatman in a podcast. Not that kind of scat. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Uh, it looks like, hey, hurry up, the movie's coming out, let's do Pirates. That seemed to work. That's exactly what it is. Clearly, this is uh, movie merch. Uh, it's even sold on a blister pack. This is this is meant to live in Walmart and Targets, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll pick it up as well. I mean, the, the biggest mechanic that they demonstrated at the show was how it could you know, drive in as a car and then transform as a robot and smack into them. 
It's pretty cool. Is it easy to transform him, or are you going to spend like a couple minutes taking his face off and putting it under the wheel? You know what? At least the sample one they showed us, Starfire, uh, was actually pretty simple. It was actually mm. easier than, say, Pirates. Okay. Uh, so that wasn't so bad. But it didn't look all that great. Okay. Yeah, yeah truth well. be told, the, the, the plane looked fine. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's the same pieces. You just turn their facings and plug them into different slots. So if I'm looking at it head-on as a robot, I turn all the pieces so I can see the robot pieces. Of course, you're now looking at the jet pieces. Mm-hmm. And then you transform them and you flip the pieces over and put them into new slots. So the one thing to make it easier, you might want to just get doubles of everything. So you can leave one as the robot, one as the jet, and be done with <laughs> it. Okay, Bozo, stop transforming that <laughs> <Exactly>. guy. <laughs> I'll go get a cup of coffee. Tell me when you're going to make your attack roll. Starting to cramp. (laughs) You can also just avoid the whole transformation thing, although it really defeats the purpose of having a 3D game. Mm. But you can uh, defeat the whole thing by just using the little character card because he changes. When he transforms, you flip the card over. Mm -hmm. So one side is robot, one side is jet, or whatever the the thing transforms into. Car and blender or whatever. Exactly. So. He was cut from the cartoon show, I believe. But uh, I hope he makes a resurgence into the trading card game. I think Scatman actually voiced him as well. <laughs> Blendo, yeah. yeah. When he Blendo. when he got set to puree, look out. Yeah. Excellent. So I can tell you're looking forward to Transformers. <laughs> yes. One other quick note from Watsi. The next Star Wars miniature set. You know, this year for Star Wars, it's a big deal. It's the 30th anniversary for oh, Star Wars. Yeah, this year. 1977, mm-hmm. uh, the first Star Wars. Not the fourth. The first. I don't care what they tell you. <laughs> Star Wars was the first. And it is the 30th anniversary. Big celebration. In fact, a huge trade show called Star Wars Celebration. The Last Hope. Uh, the next set of Star Wars miniatures, the very first printing, will ship with a sort of a square commemorative base. The big deal about uh, Star Wars miniatures, uh, unlike uh, Heroclix, uh, all the stats are on the card. So the base is just a little circle that the figure sits on, almost like Little Army Men, except it's just a circle base and the whole mm-hmm. thing sits on there. Just like a D&D. Just like a D&D piece, exactly. Now what they're doing here, just for the first uh, press run on this new one, is creating a little square base it sits on with a little silver Star Wars, um, the word Star Wars printed on there. Uh, initially, we all thought, oh, well, this is interesting. The whole set will be with the square base. But really, it isn't. It's just that first printing. So it, it, it adds some collectability to the very first printing of this new set, the Alliance and Empire. The very first printing will have that. So any other printings after that will go back to the circular bases. This might be Watsy's way of telling us that in this set of Star Wars minis, Captain America dies. Agreed. <laughs> this you listen to the first podcast. <laughs> Our second podcast, we already have in-jokes. That's impressive. (laughs) We'll be right back with our 2007 Gamma Trade Show recap. But right now, it's contest time. It's the All Things Fun Podcast Summer of 2007 Audio Mashup Contest. That was a mouthful. Seven heroic TV show theme songs have been all mashed up. Name all seven TV shows in order for a chance to win one of five All Things Fun prize packs. Prize packs will be awarded on September 15th, 2007. So send your entries to feedback at allthingsfun.net.
So send your entries to feedback at allthingsfun.net. Remember, contest deadline is September 15th, 2007. Good luck. Welcome back to the 2007 GTS wrap-up show. Looks like we have a lot of people just kind of watching as they go by. It's like we're in a zoo. Yeah. Uh, drive through ice cream customers like to take a slow roll and a peep. Uh, for those unfamiliar, uh, we're actually taping uh, this program, the All Things Fun podcast, inside uh, the toy game and comic shop in West Berlin, New Jersey called All Things Fun, which uh, is a corner location with very high 13-foot windows. Often as Wes and I are sitting here talking, people come by and they point and snicker and throw food at the glass. Yell into their cell phones. It's, 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 it's very much like the Today Show, except without making any money. And I look better than Matt Lauer. You do. I meant to tell you that. You look very striking today. Thank you. I think you should be getting all the fan mail. I really do. Maybe after this one, you will. Well, I need to stop writing my own. I'm getting writer's <laughs> cramp. Uh, if somebody could take over for my responsibilities, I'd appreciate it. I think that you can send notes to we love Wes at allthingsfun.net. <laughs> if I get five positive feedbacks, Ed will give me a chair to sit on. <laughs> no, I won't. We took a few minutes to sit down with an outfit called uh, Hidden Cities. They are doing a new collectible card game, although I hesitate to call it that. It's called Bellicera. Basically, how it works, you purchase a pack of cards, and there is no game. There is no game. You're not, you don't okay. collect it, you don't build a deck, you don't, you don't do anything. This is targeted right at young girls. You open up this pack, and there are pictures of horses, relatively cool pictures of horses, and they all have these positive messages on there. You then take these cards, you go home to your little computer, they have a secure website where the child logs in, creates a profile, and then enters a code from these cards. They're then taken to essentially what is a virtual stable where all their little pictures of their horses are there. They can then enter the stalls of any of the horses and take care of them, nurture the horses, clean them, feed them, water them, uh, take them out into the fields, play with them, uh, they've got little spaces for their ribbons, things you've collected. And it, it's essentially, I mean, not to put too fine a point to it, it it's kind of like the Webkins, where you buy the doll and you go online and take care of the doll. It's very similar, except yeah, it's... like a Neopet online. Kind yes, of. exactly. Exactly. But aimed right at young girls, there is no competitive aspect. Because even when you play with the horses online, you're not playing against other people. You might be... You might be doing a steeplechase and you're racing against time, but that's as competitive as it gets. Mm. And if you don't make it, you can try forever. There's no, there's nothing to stop you. You're just you're out there playing with your horse. They're already on to a second set with a third on the way. It's been phenomenally successful. It's just a lot of the hobby stores have been slow to, to kind of notice this thing because it is just a little bit off our radar. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the hobby shops don't really have the young girls coming in. Mm -hmm. Well, even if you don't have a lot of uh, female customers... If you're the father of a young girl and you can come up with another excuse to pop down to the hobby shop and, and say, honey, <laughs> I'm going to go get another pack of Bellicera and also check out, you know, yeah. <laughs> another pack of D&D &D minis. <laughs> While I'm there. <laughs> we'll see what happens. It looks cool. The production quality was good. The cards look great. But again, there's no game. Uh, we also talked to the folks at Bandai. They're interesting because they're the biggest little company I know of. You know, they've got all these different divisions. They're famous right now for Naruto, uh, which is the big story about the little boy who wants to become a ninja. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very popular. Now Naruto has taken off. But it's neat because this Bandai USA is a completely different division. So even though it's this massive company that sells just stacks of DVDs and, like, they distribute all the Godzilla stuff, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's just crazy money, um, not this division. 
Okay. Completely different group. It's got like six people in this division. So we've had a lot of fun working with them, and now they've got a real hit in their hands with Naruto. The uh, last set, which was their Revenge and Rebirth, sold phenomenally well. Sold out. It's gone. They're not printing anymore, so it just went away. Now, this is a classic collectible card game. Essentially, it's it's these you know ninja combats, and you're defending these villages. The creative part is that they took the United States, broke it into the various villages that as they appear in the anime. So you've got kids essentially vying to become the best ninja in their village. And it's like a district? Yep, it's like a district. Yeah, it's like a sliver. I mean, they've essentially cut the uh, United States uh, north and south into four slivers, with the east coast being the first sliver, and then... You know, half the Midwest, the other Midwest, and the West Coast. And they, they named them after the various houses and the villages in the anime. So it's kind of creative, and the, the players are definitely responding to it. We've seen a cross-section of folks from kids right on up to adults again, like you see for any number of these other games, the Yu-Gi-Oh's of the world, Pokemons, that sort of thing. All of whom may potentially wear Naruto headbands. <laughs> <laughs> but we wish them well, because they, they've, they've got a property that's doing well for them, it's doing well for everybody involved. Let's talk about Fantasy Flight. Okay. I know you've been waiting for this one. <laughs> so here we are. We're like 30 minutes in already. <laughs> yeah, see, I can't say that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're referring to Tanhausa? I am. Yeah. So let me see. So this is a, an alternate history where the Great War never ended. Features small squads of troops of the Army of the Union in their attempts to track down and stop the Reich's Obscura Corps, who use a mixture of technology and occult magic to further the cause of the Fatherland. Oh, that's already cool right there. Let's see. So it blends together alternate history, science fiction, and magic to create a wholly original game world. They're saying it's the first game to utilize the revolutionary pathfinding system. Oh, the pathfinding system. <laughs> so uh, I guess this is a game mechanic that uses colored circles on the game board that aid players in determining movement and line of sight. Yeah. Ah, that's the big deal. So they're saying it makes combat resolution quick and simple. Double-sided game board featuring two different maps, character cards, counters, 10 fully painted 35-millimeter figures representing both sides. This is a cool-looking game, and it's got a good idea. I saw it on Fantasy Flight's website and was immediately attracted to, like, hey, what's this? Because, well, for one thing, they're they're advertising their Mutant Chronicles, which is also an alternate uh, history, not related, but in the same vein. So I was like, what's this? It's a board game version, but it's a repaint of a of an already existing French game. And like uh, your description said, it's this uh, World War One has dragged on to the 40s. And Germany needs to break the deadlock, so they try to employ these dark arts. The way they advertise the game is that it's 2 to 10 player, which is crazy. Uh, you play five figures a side. The, the base game comes with 10 pre-painted minis, five to a side. And what they're saying in the instructions is you can play head-to-head. We each run a team of five. Or you can just designate one player to all the figures if you want. So you can literally play five on five. The pathfinding system that they're talking about in the write-up it's mentioned on every other page of the French instructions. I, I don't read French, but there is an online uh, translation, uh, which I've read through. And every other page, it's because of our revolutionary pathfinding system. But the thing is, I understand why they're excited about it, because it's really cool. It takes the most irritating and confusing element of all minis games and wipes it out. Like I say uh, when, I, when I talk about how collectible minis games uh, the way that they build on each other. I think this is the next step in miniatures games. I really like this pathfinding system. When a figure is standing in the warehouse, he's standing on a white circle. Everybody else in the warehouse is also standing on a white circle. They can all see and shoot each other. 
because they're all in the warehouse. The guy standing on the space right outside the warehouse, he's on a white circle, but it's half white and half red because he can see the stuff outside the warehouse. You can look at your figure and there's a circle around him that says he can see everybody in this room and everybody in the catwalk above. And the guys on the catwalk can see down into his room and down the hallway. You can tell at a glance where everybody can see. There's no rulers, no tape measure, no... The chalk lines, yeah. great. And, and no argument. Hey, that nicks a corner. You can't, you know, none of that. Right. So that's out of there. And it's, okay, I know what he can see. Let's get on with the rolling. The other cool thing is that's not mentioned in that description is you not only get a character card for those five minis but you can customize their inventory you can give this guy hand grenades but he'll run a little slower if he's overloaded or you can give this guy a submachine gun and take away his pistol it makes uh you can customize the characters out i think each team has three we'll call them unique hero figures named guys and then it'll be commando and sergeant okay and those guys the the heroes have super special powers that are just for that one figure. There's no piece of equipment you can give them to make them. And then the, the two soldiers, say the, I can't remember what they're called, but the commando and the sergeant, customizable, you can change their equipment, they don't have any special powers. Those guys die, there's a reinforcement mechanic, you can bring another one in, Neat. you can buy them up, but the heroes die and I think they're out forever. Gotcha. This is, this is all taken from an un, you know, unofficial translation of a French rule book. <laughs> right. But the website is getting along. Fantasy Flight's doing it. They haven't posted a rule book yet. They say it's coming August. I expect things on the website to start updating a little faster. They have some great photos of the minis and the boards and a write-up of what you're looking at, the background, and uh, an explanation of the pathfinding system. I'm excited about it. It does, it does look great. We got a chance to see the, that French version at the the Gamma Trade Show in Vegas. They actually had that on display, and it was very purdy. The other cool thing about the boards is not only do the spaces show you the line of sight, but also there are spaces on the board that give a bonus to certain skills. When you're looking at the map and you're fighting in a warehouse, there'll be a little sandbag area with a machine gun. Right. You stand in that spot, and your guy shoots harder. Or there's an area with, like, two stacked-up desks, and you stand over there, and you have better cover, better defense. Nice. And you can also tell just by looking at the space. It's right, got it's a little clear. green gun, and that's bonus to gun, you know? So that's also very cool. It looks cool. Yeah. See, that's I think that's going to be a big deal. There's a lot of buzz about that mm-hmm. one. Yeah, it's going to be huge. If you're just tuning in, you're talking to uh, Ed Evans, your host of All Things Fun Podcast. I'm here with uh, my co-host, Wes Hitchens. That's me. And we're running through our adventures at the 2007 Gamma Trade Show in Las Vegas, Nevada. Next up, Pokemon. Ah, Pokemon. This is the game that will not die. <laughs> <laughs> and not that I necessarily wish that they would. Just when you think it's starting to wind down a little bit, it comes back. Currently on the market or shipping very soon, I think it's Diamond and Pearl. Once again, back from the dead. It's like share. They do a costume change. It comes back. You just can't beat this game. Are they running out of precious gems yet? Uh, you know, I don't think they are. Although they they are not afraid to make them up. Yeah. So well, I'm pretty sure we'll just have like, like home shopping. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like kryptonite and sulfur is the next set. Yeah. <laughs> but one criticism I've always had was that it was very difficult to get related product. I do have people in here who are crazy about Pokemon, and they can go to the Pokemon store and get everything under the sun. But it's very difficult to purchase Pokemon-related merchandise inside the gaming or specialty market outside of the mass market. So they're beginning to rectify that. The big announcement at Gamma was this new... They're calling it a board game, but it almost resembles a children's hero clicks, not to steal from another company. But Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, you lay down a board, 
you pull out these pieces, which have got to be four times the size of a regular hero click. It's maybe the size of a child's fist. You place it down on the board. You maneuver into preset locations. Even though you have this huge board, there's really only a handful of circles uh, that you can maneuver to, and the paths to get to them are outlined on the board. So the board is essentially a large mat to help you maneuver your piece to an inevitable conflict. Okay. Once you hit that conflict, you then spin this thing like there's no tomorrow. Like there's a physical part of this game. You get in there and you, wee, you spin this little thing. And then the results that show in the base, that helps you resolve your combat between your two Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Very simplistic. Like I don't think we'll be hosting the Pokemon Board Game World Championships here at the store. Much to your chagrin. Yeah. Well, heading towards an inevitable conflict, I'm very comfortable with that. (laughs) That mechanic is part of my life. So you like that. (laughs) But but that said, it it, it looks okay, and it's it's an additional product to sell. It'll be great during the holidays, and that's roughly when it's due. Actually, if you go to the uh, All Things Fun website, www.allthingsfun.net, there's a picture of me beside a huge water Pokemon. Looks like he's trying to make out with me, but yeah, (laughs) it's right there. Uh, for your viewing pleasure. So we'll see what happens. You know, it's uh, it, it's going to sell fine. You have no breakdown of that one? Uh, you download the rules for Pokemon? Or? Well, I, I have, I've, I've read an Argentine uh, translation of the rules, uh, and it's an interesting Pokemon. It's an alternate reality. The Germans have lost World War I. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong thing here. <laughs> I was afraid of that. <laughs> so Ash has won World War II. So next down the aisle, we ran to the guys from Sabretooth Games. Not just known for their universal fighting system, which is a card game, but also the guys who are bringing the new uh, reprint of Talisman to life. Wow. So that, that looked really great. Uh, I think that's going to be on a lot of people's holiday list this year. And I'm feeling pretty good about the distribution network, bringing it through Sabretooth rather than through a typical Games Workshop. Games Workshop owns Sabretooth. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's still a connection there. But by going in through Sabretooth, at least from a retailer perspective, I know I'll be able to get it through my wholesalers and it'll be easier to get as long as it stays in stock and in print. Uh-huh. So that said, uh, your local game store should have no trouble getting a hold of the new Talisman, um, even if they aren't games workshop stores, even if they're traditional board game stores. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Not that I'd let my opinion about anything come out in this podcast, but that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm being restrained physically. <laughs> by the Games Workshop people. So we continue to walk down the aisle, and at that point we, we ran into the folks from Knuckle Bones Magazine. And, and I'm not one to shill, although it feels like I've been shilling for the last 50 minutes here. These guys start a couple years back, and uh, sort of a competing uh, magazine for games, or there was originally Games Quarterly was out there. Originally when I took a look at this, it was a fine magazine, but it didn't really serve the needs of, I thought at the time, my customer base. It really it didn't rock my little world, that kind of thing. But recently, after sitting down with the publisher of the magazine and taking a second look, I have to admit that my opinion has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last issue I saw had this fantastic spread on Carcassonne. Now, granted, everybody writes about Carcassonne, but it was a very nice piece. It kind of compared and contrasted all the different expansions, what was going on there, cool pictures of like the tower 
and and some of the other pieces. And then it also had little bits about the real Carcassonne of France. Again, all of it by itself, not necessarily groundbreaking, but together, it was a nice article. Mm-hmm. Not really a review per se, because I don't need somebody to tell me if they personally liked Carcassonne or didn't. It really just kind of laid out the, the mechanics, the neat ideas, and why someone should be playing it, why you should have it in your collection, that kind of thing. And it was a feature article. It was very very nicely done. Carcassonne is an absolute must uh, for all retailers. It is shedding tiny tears because that's the game that actually led me into his store for the first time. And I have since, while standing in these aisles, I have probably introed at least three families to the gaming world with Carcassonne. It's a strong choice for saying, hey, uh, you want to try the so-called Euro game? Carcassonne. It's uh, it's one where you could take it home, read the rules, and say, I'm not really used to that. It doesn't sound like Papamatic trouble, but it's a game that you can understand in your own right. You'll have to edit the a whole thing. Every living hell out of this. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get that out of there, but all right. Uh, for wow. this <laughs> in case I... I Badly edited that last track. We just had an ambulance go by. It was a fire engine doing, I believe, a Snaggletooth the Cat uh, <laughs> impression. <laughs> it was like the Hanna-Barbera sound effect for a fire engine. Anyway, uh, Carcassonne, good game. <laughs> Knuckle Bones, good magazine. Good magazine. Moving on. <laughs> Uh, we visited the folks at Paizo, also distributing Titanic games. They actually announced uh, something very cool, Stonehenge, which is essentially, well, it's essentially a box of bits. Uh, initially introduced to me as uh, we took this cool box of bits, we approached five different game designers. I think you have those over there, right? Who yeah. those guys were? I've got my cheat sheet. As a, as a collector of rules, a lot of these names are familiar to me. So uh, this is a neat idea. I'm, I'm really surprised that it's an actual retail product because this sounds like a fantasy idea that some board gamer would say, wouldn't it be great if? And so somebody did. And that's, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really impressed. I'm excited about this. So we've got, first on the list is Bruno Feduti, who designed Citadels and also worked with Serge Leggett in... Mystery of the Abbey, mm. Castle, although Citadels and Castle is the same game by those two designers, <laughs> and then Split. What else did they do? Queen's Necklace. Yeah. I think he's also Fist of Dragonstones. Uh, I'll check. You might be. I'm not sure. I think he is. A uh, French game designer, website owner, and good corresponder, because he, uh, he's responded to emails in the past uh, from me, and I've always appreciated that. Anyway, Ingenious, always a social gamer. He runs these auction games, and he runs... One of the neatest game mechanics I've ever seen is in Dragon's Horde. He's got this one invisible hand, and you can steal pieces out of the game until somebody catches you, (laughs) and you get to keep the piece they caught. So you can just sit there and just steal and steal, and somebody says, what the heck are you doing? And you say, oh, I have the invisible hand card. You caught me. Too bad I've been doing it for the last half hour. I think it's (laughs) hilarious. Next one is Richard Garfield of Magic the Gathering fame. So, boom. Big name and uh, James Ernst, yep. uh, cheap ass games always has an extremely humorous element to the game design. Uh, if you're not familiar with cheap ass games, it's extremely uh, affordable games where the the policy is okay. You have a six sided die in your house. You've got a pawn or a checker or a cheerio, so I don't have to sell you that. <laughs> I'm going to sell you the fun idea, the rules, 
and the board doesn't have to be, you know, for color on a piece of, you know, here's the board, uh, imagine it out because you're going to laugh at the way the game runs. So the games are extremely reasonably priced and always humorous, in my opinion, great game designer. Absolutely. Next is Mike Selinker. Uh, Dungeonville, yep. Axis and Allies, God, uh, the the Godstorm version of Risk. I love Dungeonville. It's a it's a Z-Man game. It's a good game, illustrated by Kavalik. So it's it's like this uh, you know nexus of good things going on. It's a social game where you own a dungeon and you try to get the other team's adventurers to die in your dungeon. It's fun. That's it's a, a good one. game. And uh, last on the list, Richard Borg, uh, Battle Cry Memoir Forty Four Battle Lore, most famous to me. For that battle cry mechanic that he's been able to refine, repaint, and use in other... Uh, Just retool, uh, retool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But always improving. Yep. It's not like Battle or I own Battle or I own Memoir 44, and I'll say to myself, man, I'm stupid. I could have just said that the German tanks were horses. It's right. not that. He's not ripping you off, but he's got a great idea, so he lets you enjoy it in different ways. It does look fantastic. I mean, and a recent announcement they made is it's not only a set of bits with different rule sets... It's also, in fact, the world's first open source board game. So they're allowing other game designers to contribute rule sets. So you'll you'll purchase this initial game, and in addition to you know these these five award-winning designers, you're going to pick up all these other rule sets as these other designers finish them. I, For example, yeah, Knucklebones Magazine, their July issue, Paul Peterson, who invented the humorous game Guillotine, right, has the game Stonehenge Rocks using the bits. See, there you go. See, already. I know Andrew Looney's working on one. Uh, heck, Wes and I are working on one. So, uh. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so many board gamers say, I own 155,000 board games, read all the rules, love them, and I swear I can do this. Now, here's your chance. There you go. Yep, it's open source. So I think this is going to be a ton of fun to write down our alley. Uh, I can't wait to bring this thing in. It's a neat idea. It's got a cool board. The board design almost looks like Wheel of Fortune with Stonehenge inside. Yes. And then there's these elements where you... If you've played a board game, you see these elements and you say, okay, what goes there? To, am I lining up glass beads there? Am I, you know, is this piles of resources? And it's obvious to me that somebody said, here's a cool board layout where creative minds could just run just go with ramp it. examples of this. Uh, you, you, we've got a, a chariot race around Stonehenge. Yeah. And then there's James Ernst is having a fire sale. It's, <laughs> so, you know... It's cool because these designers have added the flavor that, as a game consumer, I've come to know and love, and then I can put my own paint job on there. I could bring it to a party and say, hey, let's invent a game, you know? So, so that's have fun cool. with it. Yeah, I think so. And and the fact that you can then put it away for a month, dig it out, and then go online and find some more rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? That's pretty cool. So, we're yeah, we're really jazzed about that. I think if anything, for us, that was one of the biggest things we saw that we were really very excited about. I did run into uh, one of the fine folks from Looney Labs. They're quietly announcing Zombie Flux. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was um, that was very cool. I mean, initially I was like, ah, geez, okay, we're cashing on the zombie craze, and they are like wholeheartedly. Like, I'll be the first to tell you that that they it's went okay out. though. It is. <laughs> well, they went and found every cliche they could find, and they're working it into the game because apparently this has been on their deck for a long time. It's just uh, Andy. Uh, Andy Looney, the guy who designed Flux, just couldn't wrap his head around what was going to make this different. Why? Why do it? And he finally came up with a new mechanic. He's called the Creeper. Like the Keeper. Like the Keeper, okay. yeah. Anybody who plays the Classic Flux, if you haven't, go out and pick it up. Buy it from wherever you got to buy it. Cause it's a fantastic game. It's a quick learn. A lot of fun with families. It's a great party game. 
basic concept is that you're constantly changing the rules of the game. The game, the rules of the game are always in flux, hence the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're playing cards in front of you called keepers. You're trying to match the keepers with the current goal, which is another card you play. For instance, you may play a keeper for chocolate, a little chocolate bar. You'll play another keeper for milk in front of you, and then you're hoping to find and or place the goal card that is chocolate milk. And then there are a number of different you know, uh, other mechanics in there that change the number of cards that you draw from the deck to the number of cards that you play to the number of cards you can keep in your hand. So essentially all of the rules are constantly changing in the game. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun, very straightforward, easy to learn. In fact, the instructions are in the back of the box. It takes no time at all. Players, no limit to player number really other than no. the, the size of the deck. People yep. can come in and step out in the middle of a game. Doesn't hurt the game. Doesn't matter. And actually, we also wish them congratulations. Flux is 10 years old. That's the other thing, too. Folks listening to this probably don't realize it. It's it's the best little game that you may not have heard of. It's 10 years old this year, so they're going to be doing a series of anniversary events over the summer. The neat thing about that is Flux fans have learned there's this whole underground system of other cards you can get for Flux. Uh, I'm sure I'm giving away one of the secrets here, but like if you see Andy Looney at one of the trade shows and you go up and uh, what's it, you have to ask him for his autograph, like that has to be the phrasing. Can not say hi or can I have a card? Or You have to ask him for his autograph. And he pulls out a special Andy Looney card and he signs it. And it has special powers in the game. Mm-hmm. But it's only valid if he signs it. Uh, and he'll only sign it to you. You can't get him for your friends and family, that sort of thing. So in my Flux deck, I have two Ed, <laughs> the Andy Looney card, and it's signed. And, of course, I always win when I play that card. Because um, <laughs> it also only works for me. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a whole series of cards like that. And they'll actually be doing some special cards for the 10th anniversary. So stores that get involved will be able to hand out special limited edition Flux cards, which you can roll right into your decks. Uh, there'll also be a zombie and a creeper and cards that help you to eliminate that because... You know, without the zombie flux, you'd be stuck if you hit a creeper. Mm-hmm. So they even balanced the little anniversary kit they're thinking of giving out. So none of that's set in stone, but it was nice that we even got a chance to see the little anniversary kit they want to give out. It'll be a first taste of zombie flux. Uh, I think it'll build a lot of excitement. So congratulations to the folks at Looney Labs. Ten years. That's pretty exciting. And we're, we're pretty jazzed about zombie flux. And I think our, our last uh, mention's got to go out... To Z-Man Games. Hey. Betcha he wished he named his place All Things Games, huh? (laughs) (laughs) In the phone book, it's tough. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody is really excited about this new import that uh, Zev has managed to get. Duel in the Dark. This game looks awesome. Really does. Uh, During World War II, British bombers attacked German cities at night to reduce their morale. This game focuses on these bombing runs. One player is the British and plans his attack run with the bombers and uses a mosquito escort. The Germans fight back with four night fighter squadrons and ground defense resources. The game has a 3D aspect as the planes are on plastic rods, allowing for uh, attitude and altitude adjustments. Also on rods are cloud and thunderstorm elements. These will affect the aircraft and combat in various methods. Add in wind direction, fuel gauges, bomb and target markers, and other cool components, and you have a game that will appeal to not only war gamers, but Euro-style gamers as well. They say the rules are easy, and Duel in the Dark can also be played solo, Mm -hmm. which is very hot. Uh, price tag, at least at this point, you're looking at fifty nine ninety nine. So it's going to be a $60 game. The cool things about this one, Ed, to me, are, number one, it's from historical wargamer simulator guy. He has likely played the Battle of Britain several times in several different games, yep. where it's Germany bombing England. 
also England bombed Germany. Right. That also happened. That's what goes on in this game. <laughs> yes. That's just an interesting thing because you're going the different way across the channel. Yep. That's that's just one thing. The other thing is from the description, you got wind and cloud and weather and fuel gauging. That sounds scary. It is not. This is not like the refer to chart Z right. at point nine. You've got like an airplane dashboard where you're like turning dials on it. It's really cool looking. And, you know, you don't put a chit next to him and say he's flying at high altitude. You put him to the top of the stick and you look at him. He's flying high. It's, <laughs> so that's cool. And I really like, you know, one player's on the defensive. He's the German guy. You do the thing where I got to guess what cities you're going to try to hit. And then the weather rolls in as a random effect. And, and the British player, I believe, because I've, I've only glanced through the online material, but I think the weather flies in over Frankfurt. And right. that's where my planes were going to bomb. I can go ahead with that at reduced effect. Or I've got enough fuel because they were going to Frankfurt to hit Bonn and come back or something. So, like, you know, and, and then you play this cat and mouse, and that's the duel in the dark. Right. Is that the, the German player has, has set up his defenses, and, and he's, he's, he's trying to guess where the British are going to go. And then in light of the weather, is he going to change course? Is he going to go through with this? The game looks really cool. The yeah. fact that you can solo it. I think is really important because for wargaming, it's not always easy to bring that to, like, you host your Wednesday open board game night. Right. You don't have forever in a day. I don't know how long this game runs. And when you can solo a game, I soloed Runebound twice to see if I liked it before I brought it to a table, and you could do that with this. Believe me, uh, think of all the PC-based right. strategy games. You're soloing every one of them. You're playing against a mechanic. Yep. Same thing. So that's cool. I'm glad. Oh, that's rare, too. It's, mm -hmm. There's not a lot of games out there where that works. Yeah. Duel in the Dark from Z-Man Games. Looks great. At this time, we're looking at a press date of sometime in June 2007. I'd have to say, with the the whole show in general, I'm I'm fairly impressed. It was a it was a very good uh, show this year. Things that we saw uh, a lot more of the uh, the family game manufacturers venturing out to Las Vegas. Out of the box, really? There. Out of the box, and they, well, they're always there. But guys like Family Games mm -hmm. and Pressman and the folks who do Seen It. They were there. These are folks that usually we have to go to the New York Toy Fair to see. Mm -hmm. So it was very nice to, to see these guys in that environment. Uh, you know, it's a smaller show. I mean, you have three to 500 hardcore, successful game retailers who come out to these events to deal with the publishers and try to, to negotiate deals and try to figure out what's coming next year and working their budgets and placing orders and that sort of thing. And we're heading back to Vegas next year, and we'll do another podcast then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All Things Fun podcast. Be sure to send your comments to feedback at allthingsfun.net. For more information about this podcast, be sure to visit us on the web at www.allthingsfun.net slash podcast. This podcast is produced in conjunction with All Things Fun, New Jersey's premier toy, game, and comic shop. For more information, please visit their website at www.allthingsfun.net. The All Things Fun podcast is hosted and produced by Ed Evans. Co-hosts include James Evangelisti, Wes Hitchens, and Glenn Walker. All music is used with permission. Some music is provided courtesy of GarageBand.com. Copyright 2007. All things fun. All rights reserved. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk again soon.